And if you need one of those handout outlines, you can see my wife and she will give you one. One per couple if you were not here yesterday. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 10. When you got it, say so. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of, dark, of, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Hallelujah. Father, we love you and we thank you so greatly, Lord God, for your word that is truth. It is the truth. It is the truth that sustains us. It is the truth that keeps us. And God, we are grateful that you inspired it, Lord God, to deliver us and to set us free, Heavenly Father. And I ask you, dear God, to glorify yourself, my Lord, in the next few moments. As I share your word, God, may you speak to the hearts of each and every person that is in this place, God. Father, continue speaking to me, and Lord, speak through me as well, Lord, at this moment. God, we ask you to glorify yourself, and we give you all praise, and we give you all glory. In Jesus' name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And we dealt with living for the gospel and how essential that is to being a Christian and to being a child of God, living and understanding that the gospel needs to be of first importance. Say that with me. The gospel needs to be of first importance. In other words, I'm living my life because I understand what the gospel is. I understand what the gospel communicates, and I understand what the gospel has done for me. And so living for the gospel is important. We can only do that by what we discussed last week a little bit, and I'll get into much more detail on the whole grace of God. I'm going to do a series dealing with that topic. But for right now, we understood that we are in God's hands. Say, I'm in God's hands, whether I acknowledge it or not. See that? Why, well, y'all didn't get so excited about that. Hello. I'm in, say it with, I'm in God's hands, whether I acknowledge it or not. God is working some stuff out, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think it's true or not. It really makes no difference. The fact of the matter is that you are in his hand. He's, he's trying to do something in your life no matter where you are. If you don't know him, you're still right. He's still calling you. You're sitting here today, so that's proof to me that he wants to draw you under him. Amen. 
All right, so we see that we live for the gospel by the grace of God and that we need to know God. We dealt with that in the second message, knowing who God was and understanding all of his characteristics, all of his attributes. We exhausted that topic. I sent out an outline, which I've never done in the history of faith on a fellowship because there were so many scriptures to go over. And even in that, there was still more scriptures. If you dig, you could dig deeper than what I dug and find more um, more, more things that point to who God is and, though, and, and, and understanding who he is and his character. But more importantly, it's not just about knowing what God's word says about him. It's about knowing the God of the Bible. It's about knowing him intimately. God doesn't want you to just know facts about him. He doesn't want you to just know what he stands for, what he's he's like. He wants you to know him. He doesn't want you to know him conceptually. He wants you to know him experientially. He wants you to experience him in a relationship. And so that's what he wants us to do. And so knowing him and knowing who he is or or what he is or what he's about is not enough, but you've got to know him in a relationship. And that's and we understand that through the gospel and by grace we can come to know God. And then we talked about the word of God and we understood how important it is for us to have a firm belief that this is the word of God. Pastor Aldo asked me this morning, he's like, where are you going to be reading from? And I jokingly said, well, I was thinking about reading from the Quran today. Some of y'all are so religious got offended right there. Like, oh, Bishop, reading from the... No, I'm not reading from the Quran, glory to God. I'm reading from the book of Ephesians in our Bible. But it was a joke. I, and, and so, you know, we, 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 we were sitting there, you know, and we went back and forth for a moment. But the fact of the matter is I wouldn't read from anything like that because that's not the word of God. You, you never have to worry about coming in here. The day that you come in here, I tell you, open your Quran to so-and-so, you know you need to walk out the door. Hello, somebody. And that's unless I'm showing you something in the Quran, but that, that's not that, that, that probably, I probably pointed up there. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so what we understand is that the word of God is the word of God. And there's one other thing that I want to talk about today, and it is opposing forces, say opposing forces. This is one of the essentials that we need to understand as Christians. I I believe that we need to realize when we read in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul is communicating to us in verse 10. Look what he says. He says, finally, my brethren, after this whole exhortation that he had given the church, he is closing up this book. And the last thing that he's communicating to them after he goes through the gospel and what God has done. And he talks about all of these wonderful and glorious things that God has done and the responsibilities that we have that we'll look at in detail in a little bit. He says, finally brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood now the apostle is communicating something to us and as christians this is important for us to realize is that whether we like it or not just like i said a moment ago you're in god's hands whether you acknowledge it whether you like it or not well the same thing i want to communicate to you you are engaged in spiritual warfare whether you are fighting or not you're engaged in a battle I, I love Leonard Ravenhill he says that you know many Christians and, 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 I, and I just say this and if it offends you please don't take it that way if it's something that fits you then you need to take it that way but if it doesn't don't get offended just be like glory to God I'm wrestling but he says some Christians could simply say for we wrestle not for we wrestle not we don't wrestle 
We don't fight. We don't labor in prayer. We don't labor seeking after God. We don't labor against the forces of darkness. We're just living life, walking through just like everything is cool, everything is good, like there is no devil, like there is no sin, like there is no world system, like there is no flesh that I'm fighting with. We just wrestle not. We don't fight this battle. We don't engage the enemy the way that we're supposed to. And so it's important for us to realize that there is a real enemy out there. One of the greatest things that the, that the enemy wants to do is he wants us to do one of two things. It's one of two things he wants us to fall into this category. And this is one of the greatest dangers for us as Christians. He wants us to do one extreme, which is to become overly obsessed with him. And everything is a demon. Everything is a devil. Everything. You become overly spiritual. You overly spiritualize everything. He wants us to either fall into that category where we are overly concerned with the devil, right? Or the other one, which I think he rather is us to just ignore him and act like he doesn't exist. Did you hear me? So two extremes that we can fall into. One extreme is that, you know what? We, 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 everything is a demon. And, you know, there, there's some groups of folks that are Christian that they have that mindset. Everything's a demon. I got to rebuke this, cast this out, and all this type of stuff. They don't even qualify the need for repentance. Hello? When I was youth pastor, I used to communicate to my youth real clear. I said, listen, you know, it's not about you coming up here and me laying hands on you all the time because there are some things you need to repent of. You want someone to cast something off of you when that's not what it is. What needs to happen is you need to have a repentant heart before God so that way you can walk in the victory and in the freedom that God wants you to walk in. Amen. When we look at spiritual warfare, we look at the battle that we're in, we look at the opposing forces, we realize that there are three things predominantly, and we should know this, but this is a, a refresher for some of you. We know that there is the world system. The Bible speaks of the world, meaning the world system do not be conformed to the pattern of this world because there is a pattern, there is a world system that is in opposition to God. They don't want God. They don't want to submit to God. They want to do everything away from, outside of, and not in alignment with God. They want to do it on their own. They want to be self-sufficient. And God says we need to beware of that. He tells us in his word that we should not love the world because if we love the world, then we must hate God. This is what the scriptures teach us, not what Bishop is saying. This is what the scriptures teach in First John. So the Bible talks to us about that. The scriptures also talk to us about living in the flesh or living in our carnal nature. And so we have this battle that goes on with the world. We're living in a world system that doesn't want to be dominated by God. And then we also have this sinful nature that is still in us, that is still warring that even the apostle paul who was a man of god that i think is just likened to none he even discusses how he has this battle going on inside of him with this sin and righteousness and he's struggling and so we realize that we have a a, a battle that is going on and the bible tells us how we're supposed to deal with that well we're not supposed to love the world and our carnal nature we are supposed to put it to death by what by the spirit of god so by the Holy Spirit, we do that. But we are still engaged in a spiritual warfare with an enemy. And we need to know our enemy. If we are going to be victorious, one of the most important things that we need to realize is we need to realize who our enemy is, how we're fighting. But there's something else that I think that we need to recognize as well. We need to recognize how our enemy has dealt with those who have had the same weapons we have. Listen to what I'm saying now. 
It is important for us to recognize how the enemy has dealt with those who have the same weapons we have. This is the example I'll give you. There's a man, and I can't remember his name right now. Long time ago, I actually had a book that was written by him on marriage, a Christian man. This man is married. Now, married, writing a book on marriage. Him and his wife are doing conferences. You want to talk about someone who had an arsenal of scripture and understanding of how marriage is supposed to be? 20-something years later, you know what happens? He divorces his wife. What does that tell me? That tells me that, listen, he had the same arsenal that I have. He had the, he has the same weapons that I have. And somehow the enemy destroyed his life. Somehow. And, and you know what? It can be a conjunction of things. Cause I'm not just going to blame the devil because listen, I don't believe in that little rap song. It's probably pretty old now. You know, the devil made me do it. He didn't make you do nothing. Hear me now. He can tempt you. He can stand before you just like you. He looked when he was with Jesus and he brought him up to the heights. Did he push him off the cliff? Hello? He told him, jump, gave him a choice. You can jump. And so you make the decision. So we can't walk around blaming the devil because it's not the devil making us do anything. But we do need to recognize our enemy. And the reason why this is important for us is because the enemy must be acknowledged as a real created being, not a symbol of evil. And for Christians, this is important because when you look at a lot of theology and different people in, in, in different uh, arenas of Christianity, when they when they talk about the devil, they're not talking about a literal devil. They're just talking about a a symbol of evil. They're just talking about something that is symbolic. If it's something symbolic, you have nothing to worry about. I need to let you know you do have something to be acknowledging. You do have you, you, you do have something that you need to recognize. I don't want you to fear, and I'll say this at the end of the message, but I just want to say this right now. This is not a message to create some kind of worship of the devil because the devil is a defeated foe. That's not what we're trying to do here. What I'm trying to do is help you to understand that you do have an enemy who is engaging you on all sides. And when I say the enemy, when I say the devil, I'm not talking about the devil because I have this understanding of the devil the devil is not going to be over here just trying to mess with me in my marriage trust me what do you mean bishop what i mean is the devil's got egypt to mess with y'all y'all didn't hear me well what what, what 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 do you mean well what i mean is that the devil is not omnipresent the devil can't be messing in your marriage and be in egypt at the same time hello he can't, he, he, he can't be influencing world leaders in these meetings that they're having. He can't be influencing terrorists and all. He can't do that and be over here. But he does have demons and demonic forces. Right? We read here of these different principalities and powers. And so we understand the enemy. But when I deal with the enemy, they all fall under the same category. They're all defeated. But we've got to recognize that we are in battle. And the reason why this is important is because, remember, we're talking about essentials. We're talking about beliefs. And so the first question is, please ask yourself this. Do I believe what the Bible teaches about the devil? Do I really believe this? Because if I believe, remember this now, this doesn't just go in dealing with your relationship with God and dealing with your relationship with the word. It also goes with how you live your life in consideration, the way that you live. If I really believe this, there are certain things I won't participate in. There's certain things I won't do. There's certain things that I won't engage in because I recognize, and maybe you've never recognized, and I'm hoping that today as we go through this, that you'll be able to recognize where practically the enemy operates in our lives. And I think some of you will be shocked to see, wow, man, the, the, the devil there. And you know what? Your Bible, the Bible we're reading here, glory to God, is going to communicate clearly the devil right there. 
Sometimes we just read past stuff and we don't realize it. And so I want us to go into those scriptures today. But the first question is, do I believe, do we believe what the Bible teaches about the devil? It should be understood as we, as we go through this is that Satan is not equal to God in any way, shape, or form. He is God's subordinate. He is creation, not creator. It's very important for us to understand this because Satan is not like, you know, we got this boxing match that is going on with two equal opponents. It's not like that. Okay. The devil is swinging up all day long. God has a longer reach. He's got heavier. I mean, he's, 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 he's like, you know, a billion and oh, you know, I mean, God is all that. And part of those billions, the devil has been defeated over and over and over and over again. So the one that is that is really engaged in this warfare, the reason why we have to put on this armor, and I won't get into details of the armor because I think you can read it, but what I will say about this armor is it is simply saying, put Jesus on daily. Put Jesus on daily. Put on his righteousness. Put on his truth. Put on his gospel. Take up his word. Put on his salvation. He is saying put Jesus on daily. Take up the faith that he has given you as a shield. Put Jesus on daily because of what? Because unless you are putting Jesus on, and what I mean is consciously submitting yourself unto the will of God daily, unless you are doing that, you and I will not be able to Stand against the wiles of the enemy. The bottom line, when situations arise and the enemy comes through those situations, when, when circumstances happen, we will not stand. We will falter in the face of temptation. We will falter in the face of testing. Because of what? Because we didn't put Jesus on. But when we put Jesus on, something else happens. And so we need to understand that, that the enemy, he is a created being. He's not creation. He, everything he does is mimic. Hello. Do you hear me? He just mimics. He doesn't, he, he's not an originator. He's a copycat. He wants, when you look at this, the, the, the first name, then we'll go over some names of the enemy that the Bible gives. The first one is, 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 is Morningstar, found in the book of Isaiah. And I'll give you these scriptures because they're not as many that I'm going to give you as far as what names were given to the enemy. But the first one that I have here is the one that is in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. And it calls him the morning star. You know what that name means? It means light bearer. You know what happened to the devil? He was created in order to wake everyone up with worship of God. And you know what happened? One day he got overwhelmed by his own light. He was like, man, I'm, I'm flying. He hit that note and he was like, woo. I don't hear no one else up in here hitting them notes. The dude, dude was just, a, he, he was a walking band. I mean, he, he was a one man show, glory to God. He, you know, it's not like me. Like when I get off the piano, it's just voices if there's no one else around there. Not with him. He can move wherever and just, wherever, woo, just worship. Amazing. This dude was amazing. Created one of the high, the, the highest of angels up there. To do one thing, worship and glorify God. He was like, hold on a second. I don't even think God could hit these notes I'm hitting. My light is illuminating him because I'm the morning star, but Jesus is the bright and morning star. Amen. He forgot about that glory to God. But call him the light bearer. So this, he, he just thought he was all that. And so what does he do? Anything that he has, guess what? God put it in him. That's it. Anything that he does, all we have to do, church, is be connected to our Heavenly Father to be able to overcome these wiles of the enemy, to be able to overcome the opposition that the enemy brings. And it's important that we realize that, look, the closer you start coming to God, the more the enemy is going to rise up against you. Do not think, do not think for one moment 
oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting closer to God. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to go. See, because this is what happens to us as Christians. We start to think, well, you know what? As soon as I start trying to get closer to God, hell starts breaking loose in my life, right? And then you think, well, after a little while, hell will stop breaking loose. No. Nope. Think I'm lying to you? Okay. Let's continue on in this. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, I think it's in second. Let, 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 let's turn, turn to Second Thessalonians and see if I can find this scripture here. I want to show you something. It's pretty, pretty, pretty important. It's either Second Thessalonians or First Thessalonians. I'm gonna find it for you, hopefully. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse 18. I want you to see this because I, I want you to understand. Opposition doesn't stop no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how called you are, no matter how on purpose and on target you are, opposition is going to continue to be there. Are you there? Second, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Look what the Apostle Paul says. This is amazing. This, this amazed me when I read this. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Hold on a second. Hold, 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 hold on a second. Paul now, now, Paul didn't make a mistake here. He said, Satan hindered us. Satan, that word hindered, it literally means to cut a hole in the road. That's what it means. So he's saying, I wanted to do something. I was trying. It's not like Paul was wanting to do something outside of the will of God. He wanted to go back, strengthen, minister, encourage this church, right? And as he's trying to find a way back, you know, the, 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 the different theologians and scholars, when they talk about this scripture, they're like, you know, we don't know exactly how this was hindered, how he was hindered. But we know that Paul's, Paul is saying, Satan hindered me. He's, he's not trying to hide this from the church. He's saying the devil, the enemy, the adversary, he hindered me from forward progress. Here's the beauty of this, is that while Paul was hindered, God wasn't. Oh, glory to God. While Paul was hindered from moving forward to go and bring edification to the church, guess what? The church was still being edified. Why? Because with or without Paul, God's plans are going to happen. So there are going to be times that the enemy may hinder us, right? Moments. That we may be hindered. Spirit, God, I know this is something that you want. I know this. And you know, we may be hindered. But what do we do? We do like the apostle does cry out to God more. Ask them for prayer. Pray for me. Pray for me. Remember in, in the book of Ephesians, he's praying that God would enable him to preach the gospel. You continue to do because while the enemy, see, here's the beauty of this, is that while the enemy is hindering your forward progress here, if you stay faithful to God right in this area, he'll use you to influence wherever you are. Hear me. It's important for us not to fear, just realize that it happens. And what happens when we're hindered, church? Well, one of two things is going to happen. We are either going to cower in the fight and we're going to turn away or we are going to rise to the occasion and we're going to grow, we're going to grow in the grace of God and we are going to become stronger, more faithful, more determined, and we will understand better the purpose and the power of God within our lives. The choice is up to us. How are we going to respond? So don't think for a moment, oh, you know what? It's just, it's just the beginning. No, no, no. The deeper you get, the more the enemy wants to attack you. But the grace of God is sufficient. Say it, church. The grace of God is sufficient. 
give you a couple of more names that the Bible uses for the enemy here. The Bible calls him Beelzebub in the book of Matthew chapter 12 in verse 24. The name Beelzebub, and I won't give you the, the meaning of every name, but some of them I will. The word Beelzebub, it means ruler of demons or lord of the house. Why do I give you this definition? Because I want you to understand that there is some authority that the enemy has. You have to acknowledge him. He has some authority. He's the ruler of demons. He runs the show when it comes to the demonic. He runs them. He he has an army that is coming against the church, and you don't see it, but you have to acknowledge it. Beelzebub in the book of Matthew 12, 24. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, verse 28, and verses 38 through 39, that's Matthew chapter 13, verse 28, 38, and 39. The Bible calls him the enemy, calls him the devil, calls him the evil one. That word devil there is the word diabolos. It means traducer, calumniator, slanderer, or false accuser. It shows us a way that the enemy operates. He accuses falsely. He lies. He deceives. That's the greatest. If you write anything down, if you remember anything in this, the greatest weapon that the enemy has is that of deception. He wants to keep you. He wants to keep me deceived. He doesn't want me to walk in the truth because in the truth there is freedom. In the truth there is liberty. In truth there is intimacy with God. In deception there's confusion. There's doubt. There's fear. There's separation from God because I am not walking in the truth. Therefore, I cannot walk with God the way that he wants. So that's what the enemy wants to keep us. And listen to me now. He'll keep us confused. He'll keep us in the dark. He'll keep us there whether we're Christian or whether we're not if we allow him to. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an example, and I've shared this with a couple of people because some people don't realize this, how stuff happens. And I'm going to talk to you about something that happens a lot in churches, whether you believe it or like it or not. It's called offense. Say offense. We offend each other sometimes. We do things. We say things that are offensive, right? We say things that, you know, just rub someone the wrong way. We do things. I mean, I know me, glory to God. I told you I need like five a year from you. I need a grace, you know, period. At least let me offend you five times a year without getting, I'm just joking. I did say that, but anyway, it's probably more than that. Um, um, and <laughs> remember, you can't count preaching because preaching is different. Um, but, 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 but the reality is that when we, you know, we offend each other. Right? We do things. And then what happens is, and I'll and I, I use an example. I'm with Pastor Aldo. Pastor Aldo and I have some kind of offensive confrontation. I offend him. We have words. Usually, usually, very few, there's very few. I mean, I, I can count on my hand how many people that I can have those confrontations with. And when we walk away, we walk away with a real hug. Notice the word I used, real hug. I'm not talking about the Christian, yeah, I, I got a hug now. Uh-uh. I'm talking about, like, for real, like, the next time I see you, there ain't going to be no issue there. That, that's, that's what I mean by a real hug. Very few people that I, can, that, that, that I can say that I've had experiences like that with. Pastor Aldo would be one of those people. Um, I don't have very many confrontations with Pastor Aldo, but anyway, you know, he's, you know, he's good like that. Anyhow, I'm using him as an example because he won't get offended right now. Anyway, we have, we have a conversation. We have, a, we have an altercation. I offend him, you know, usually we both getting offended, we walk away, whatever, all right, man, I'll talk to you later, we walk away. What do you think happens when you walk away? Your mind starts running with what just happened. You start justify. I start, I'm going to tell you, what I, I start justifying myself. Let me talk about me, I want to talk about you, because I don't want to offend you, I want to take that one today, glory to God. 
I start thinking about how I was justified and what I said, what I did, how I did it, how they shouldn't have done this, how they shouldn't have said that, how they should have recognized it. I go through all of that stuff, right? And then I walk away from you. Now, mind you, I'm still bothered by you. This is why I tell you, we're going to go to that scripture a little bit later on. The Bible says not to let the sun set on your anger, right? Because that's like cement. It cements that thing there. You wake up the next day not thinking about it so much, but it's still burning inside of you. But here's what happens. When I am away from my brother, away from my sister, and I am offended, right in this place is when deception begins to creep in. Because I don't want to recognize my wrong, right? I want to recognize everybody else's wrong. That's his natural tendency in all of us. We want to justify ourselves. So here's what happens. I am separated from this person, and I am in the dark as far as to the reality of how that person's feeling, how I'm feeling. So here's what happens. We don't see each other, and then, you know, let's just say, just, you know, for argument's sake, the offense occurs on a Wednesday night. Offended on Wednesday night? Well, guess what? We go to the same church. Guess what's going to happen on Sunday? We're going to see each other again. So here's what happens. See, while I was away thinking about all of this stuff, then, you know, some other things start to happen. I start thinking, well, what's this person thinking? How are they feeling? So then you all, I know everyone has probably experienced this. So you walk into a room, you see that person, that person sees you, and you don't know exactly how to act. So you act awkward. You know the awkward moment, right? Okay. You don't know how to act. Guess what? Neither do they. You know why? Because both of you were immature. Yes, I said both of you were immature, prideful. Neither one of you wanted to pick up the phone and say, hey, we're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. We have to love each other. We're going to see each other again. And I want to make sure that there is real love and real community, right? We don't do that. So when we come and see each other the next time, then here's what happens. We see each other. Maybe we got in here, walked in late, sat down. Nobody really hugged each other. Awkward feeling. You know what happens? You walk out again. Don't communicate. Guess what? Now it's building up. What's wrong with this person? They don't recognize they're wrong? Hold on a second. Do you see where the enemy is operating in all of this? Do you see how he's got you in the dark and he has you all by yourself battling with all of these thoughts, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to respond? It's important for us to grow up in this area. And that way, what? The enemy cannot cause division. He does the same thing in marriages. You offend one another. You Whatever. I don't want to talk about it. You walk away. You come back. Glory to God. See, I thank God for my wife. Hallelujah. Because my wife is just not like that. We can walk away, and when we get back together, it is right there on the table. Glory to God. It's like, that is unresolved, praise the Lord. And, and sometimes I try to get away with stuff. I'll be like, babe, I don't want to talk about that. And she's like, no, no, we need to talk about this. I'm like, glory to God. You're such a child of God. Such a Christian. Hallelujah. Right? The same thing happens in our marriages. Listen, you you think that the guy that I told you about, I guarantee you what I just described to you occurred many times inside of his marriage. And by himself, the enemy plays with his mind, and then you start playing with your own mind, and before you know it's all confused, you're deceived, and what? Because that is how the enemy operates. He falsely accuses. And when I I say falsely accuses, he doesn't just falsely accuse us to the father. He falsely accuses one one to the other. Oh, they don't really love me. He don't really care about me. She doesn't, re- she doesn't respect me. You know, we go through all of those emotions. They really don't appreciate me. We go through all of that stuff. The devil is a liar. 
That's what he does. In the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it shows us again the name devil there, Diablos. In the book of John chapter 8, verse 44, it says that he is a liar, he is a murderer, he is the father of lies. That is the only thing that the Bible accredits the enemy for being the father of. The word father there is the word patser. It means generator. It means that lies came from him. God is not a liar. God cannot lie. Amen. Therefore, God did not do that. Hello? So who creates this? Who, where, where does it come? Well, the Bible, the Bible attributes that solely to the enemy. From the beginning, what does he do? He lies. From the beginning, he murders. How does he murder? Well, he went on ahead and he lied to these people and caused them to commit suicide. Hello? He's a murderer. He talked now. Now look, he didn't make them do it. But he talked them into it. He communicated. He's a murderer from the beginning. This is what the enemy has done. Let me tell you this right now. He's not going to change his ways either. He's going to continue to be a liar. He's going to continue to be a, a, a deceiver. He's going to continue to be a false accuser. The Bible calls him in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter um, 5 and verse 8 calls him the adversary. Your adversary is like a roaring lion. He's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. This is what he does. He's roaming about. He was roaming about like a snake in the garden. Hello. There's only two people in there. He caught Eve by herself like, yo, let me holler at you. Right? Starts talking to her, communicates to her, deceives her, convinces her it's all good. She eats of the fruit, goes to her husband, says, here, babe, take it. And he, as a coward, because that's what he was, instead of saying, woman, are you crazy? God said not to eat of it. Oh, yeah, you ate of it. I'll eat of it. You look alive. Now, I don't know what he was thinking. I, I don't. But, you know, again, we say, I would have never done that. Yes, you would have. The Bible calls him in the book of Revelation. It calls him Abaddon or Apollyon. And this name means destroyer. Destroyer. This is what the enemy does. He destroys. The book of John, chapter 12, verse 31, it calls him the ruler of this world. Important words for us to grasp. Calling him a ruler, saying again, he has authority in this world, in this realm. And the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 18, calls him Satan or Satanas, which means the adversary, the one who is opposed to you, your opponent. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and verse 2, means the prince, or it says the prince of the power of the air. And so we see he's a ruler. We see that he's a prince. The Bible calls him in the book of 2 Corinthians, Chapter 4 and verse 4, the God of this world. So we see that he has authority, right? We got, we, we got to get this. He has some level of authority. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15 calls him Belial, which means worthless or wicked. And so he's wicked. The book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5 calls him a tempter. So who is the source of temptation? It is the devil. That is the source of temptation. 
He is the tempter from the beginning. It's where it comes from. Him. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 calls him the lawless one. The one without the law. The one who wants us to live outside of the law. Said that that's Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. The book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 calls him the great dragon, the deceiver or the serpent. And the book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 calls him again the accuser. The accuser. That's what he wants to do. He wants to accuse us. He wants to accuse us. He wants to condemn us. He wants to make us feel unworthy every day of our lives. This is what he wants us to do. He wants us to walk around with a guilt upon our shoulders that Jesus bore on the cross. Are you with me, church? The Bible shows him accusing us to the Father. You go, I believe it's in the book of, 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 of Zechariah. He's accusing Joshua, talking about how filthy is. God says, man, bring him some new robes. Bring him a new turban. He's righteous before me. God, can, because the enemy wants to accuse. So what is it? So we see in these names, we understand how he operates. We understand the same way by the names of God. We can understand the character and operation of God. The same thing with the enemy. We can understand the character and the operation of the enemy. Again, I I want to reiterate this. The enemy is not equal to God. He is creation, not creator. He is under. He is subordinate. The second thing I want to ask, and you please ask this question. Do I believe and guard against the tactics of the enemy? Satan's ultimate goal, his ultimate goal is to deceive us by what? Misrepresenting God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to misrepresent God. He wants us to believe in many gods. He wants us to believe that the God that Bishop preaches or the God that Pastor Robert teaches or the God that these other men of God teach, that's not the only God. He wants you to believe that. It's a lie. He wants you to believe that God doesn't hate sin. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe that God is okay with you walking around, calling yourself a Christian, yet living totally an opposite life. He wants you to believe that stuff. He wants you to think that that's okay with God. It's a misrepresentation of who God is. And he wants you, he wants me to believe that. Because when he gets us to believe that, then we start to live that. And then you know what he does? He begins to accuse us to the Father. He begins to tell, that, that's a Christian? That, that was the one that was on the altar? Look at them now. That was the one that was crying those tears? Look at them now. But you know what? He, look, he, 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 he'll, he'll accuse us to the Father. But you want to know where, where he really comes to accuse? He comes to accuse you. He comes to accuse you. Weren't you just on the altar crying? Weren't you just in a prayer closet asking for forgiveness for this? Weren't you just driving your car down the road, heard that song, started weeping, and asked God to... Wasn't that you who just did all that? He starts to accuse us. He starts to do what is called condemn us. So we begin to experience this condemnation. We begin to experience this guilt. We begin to experience this overwhelming guilt. Not, not, Not the grief that brings conviction and brings repentance. No. So you can, you, you can know the difference. When God is convicting you of sin, when God is dealing with you on sin, you know what he does? He provides you with an understanding that there is hope for your situation. Nonetheless, I remember someone, I, I was preaching a couple of weeks ago, and they asked me a question. They, 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 they were doing something, and they said to me, Bishop, you know, I feel bad for this thing that I'm doing. And, and, and they're like, but I stopped. 
but I still feel bad. And so I asked them a question. I said, why did you stop? And they gave me the reason as to why they stopped and stuff like that. And I said, the reason why you still feel bad is because you haven't repented. You, have, you haven't asked, you, you, haven't, you, you haven't come before God. You, you stopped because the situation changed. You didn't stop because you wanted to. See, it's different. See, that, that, that's why I have issues like when folks get caught in sin. I have issues with that stuff and they just act like everything. No, you get, when, there's a difference between getting caught and repenting. There's a difference between you, you know, coming to your spouse and crying and say, listen, I committed adultery and I did wrong and, I, and I've totally violated the covenant of our marriage. It's one thing to do that. I've never seen that done, ever. It's a totally different thing for someone to call your wife or your husband and tell them, hey, I'm sleeping with your spouse. Or for your spouse to check your text messages because you forgot to delete them. Or for them to go into your email account that you didn't know they had the password to. And find stuff on there, right? It's different. It's a different scenario, different situation. What God wants to do, he wants to bring to light. Listen, you are living in violation of my word and my will. Repent of your sin. You know what the enemy wants you to do? You are living in violation to the word of God. You are filthy. You are no good, and you know what? Just run as far away. Go get just drunk and as high and as messed up as you can because your word. God doesn't love you. There's a difference between the two. God wants you to run to him. The enemy wants you to run from God. He's the accuser. He falsely accuses us, makes us feel like, man, God can't forgive you. God, how, how can God forgive you? God can't forgive you. Not looking at the cross. When God convicts you of sin, when you, if you're sitting there right now and you're feeling bad about your sin, praise God. But know this, the cross is powerful. What Jesus did on the cross is amazing. He obliterated all of your sin, past, present, and future. He dealt with that and he wants you to walk in freedom and deliverance. He doesn't want you to walk in sin. We're going to see that. But listen, we have to understand he's a false accuser. So what does he want to do? He wants to misrepresent God. He he wants to show us God in a different light instead of who God really is. He wants to deceive us in that so he can accuse us to the Father, accuse us of the Father. When we're going through situations and circumstances that don't look right, that's the perfect place where the enemy comes to accuse God. He doesn't love you. How can he let you go through that? How can he let you experience this? Where's your God at now? All of that, accusations of the enemy. We have to recognize this stuff because we're in spiritual warfare, right? So here's another thing that we have to do here. And these are the things that I think that you may be surprised with. And I, and I hope that it, it is enlightening to you as it was for me. But there are some practical ways, some practical ways in our life that we can see where the enemy is operating in. Because remember, the question was this. Do I believe and guard against the tactics of the enemy? Do I believe and guard against the tactics of the enemy? The first place that I want to let you know that it is a, a, a place where you can see practically if God, I mean, or, or if the enemy is possibly in operation. And mind you, I'm not going to say the devil is there. I'm going to say there is a great possibility and you are definitely opening the door. Amen. Here's the first place and you can write the scripture down. We already talked about it, but it's John 8:44. John 8:44 talks about the devil being what? Being a liar, right? Being a murderer, right? Talks about those things. The father of lies. If you are a compulsive liar, we don't talk about lying in church. We always talk about fornication. 
If you're a compulsive liar, this is not a respecter of age either. And it's not a respecter of the degree of lying. I was talking to someone yesterday. We were in the mall. And as I was witnessing to him, you know, I'm asking him the question. I'm like, hey, I said, you know, have you ever told a lie? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, I've, I've told a lie. And, and I'm like, okay, so then what would that make you? He said, well, it depends on the type of lie. If it was a lie to protect somebody, it's a white lie. And then I said, so that makes it not a lie? And he was like, oh, well, I guess it's still a lie. And I said, exactly. I said, so what would that make you? Right. See, we have, we have, we have, these, we have our own justifications in our mind. Right? I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, so I just lie. No, just don't say anything. And if you have to hurt their feelings, let them know this is going to hurt your feelings. But I got to tell you the truth. I mean, seriously, if someone, come, if someone comes and asks you, how do I look in this? But, Bishop, you don't know what will happen if I tell my wife. Yeah, I do. She'll go and change. She's going to be mad at you and whatever and all, but, but guess what? She's she going to go change. And you're going to do her a favor because other folk are going to be looking at her like, she's looking crazy. <laughs> why, why, why does she walk out the house? Who, who, is, who is her husband? And they flip it around, too, because sometimes us dudes be walking out the house looking crazy. Hello? My wife, my wife, I, I, listen, I love my wife. She's a woman of God. But sometimes she'd be like, they, he must not be married. I love you. I love you. Listen, man, I mean, there's just something. Just some things just look great, right? You going to lie to someone? Oh, you look great. Come on, let's go. Just walk over there. I'm going to stay here. Just, you know, I mean, come on. If you, if you are a compulsive, if you have issues telling the truth, man, you better understand something. You're operating with the father of lies. You're in alignment with him. If, that, if that's where you're at, you need to check yourself because you're opening a door for the enemy to enter into your life. Forget about all the rest of the stuff. That's demonic activity that can be happening to you. The second thing that I want to point out, we're going to turn to these scripture here because we didn't go over this one. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. I want you to see some of these, so get your Bible ready. Chapter 10, verse 14, 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, when you got to say so, it says, therefore, my beloved flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. And I say the same thing the apostle Paul says, read what the text says and you judge what the scripture is trying to communicate here. The cup of blessing communion cup is what he's referring to here, right? Which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? 
or what is offered to idols is anything rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And what is he saying here? He's saying idolatry, false worship, mixing religious worship, right? Mixing all this stuff up. You know what it does? Opens up the door to demons. I heard a preacher talking one day. He was talking about a comforting spirit. Listen to that. Listen to how demonic and how twisted this is, okay? I want you to understand the enemy that you're dealing with is not some shabby idiot that doesn't know what he's doing. This person in church... Whenever they would go through hardship, a comforting spirit would come to them. Hold on a second. I thought the Holy Spirit was a comforter. He is. But every time they went through a hardship, this comforting spirit would come to them. Comforting spirit would come to them, identified himself as Jesus. Hold on a second. Comforting spirit identifying himself as Jesus. They're dealing with this, you know, in, in, in deliverance, in this deliverance situation. He's going through the whole conversation. He's having the conversation. And he's saying, listen, um, you have this comforting spirit that comes to you every time you go through a hardship. And, you know, but there's, there's an issue here. And the, na- the name of this spirit, you know, Jesus asked the name of the demon. I'm Legion. You remember that story? So going through that whole process, says, I'm Jesus. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? No, I'm another Jesus. Now, listen to me. This is why you and I need to walk according to the scriptures. Walk according to the truth of the word of God. And don't play games. This is why we need to be serious with the word and walk in the word. Because you know what? There are plenty of false Jesuses out there. I said this to you when I was talking about God and who he is a couple of weeks ago. It is important for us to grasp this. He wants to deceive you. He'll comfort you as long as he can keep you away from what? The word of God. As long as you can keep you away from what? Real intimacy with God. Praise the Lord. The person got delivered and they're walking in freedom with the real comforter and the real Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. It's important for us to understand these things. We see here, he's talking, he says, those Gentiles, Gentiles are those who don't know God. Those who worship false idols. And you know what? He's saying, listen, when they offer their sacrifices, they're not offering it to that piece of wood or that piece of cement or whatever it is. No. They're offering, their, there's something spiritual going on. And there is a demon that is involved in that. And he said, I don't want you to be involved in that situation. So if you are like trying to mix Christianity with other religions, listen to me. You are opening the door for demonic activity into your life. Be seriously devoted to what the word of God teaches. Don't do stuff because it feels good. The church, listen, the church needs to be careful because there's a bunch of spiritual folk that are out there. Everybody is spiritual, but what spirit are they operating in? The enemy knows that everybody wants to experience something, right? The enemy knows that everybody wants to experience things. And so what's he going to do? If you read your Bible and you can see as you study out these texts that we're going through, look, man, the enemy does false signs, false wonders. He does that for what? To deceive people, to make people think this is God. It's not. False worship. I'm going to give you a couple of other scriptures you can turn to on your own time. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 is where, is, is where the apostle Paul talks about 
A different Jesus, a different spirit, which will confirm scripturally what I just talked about with this comforting spirit. This is what your Bible teaches. Second, um, the, 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 that's Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. The apostle Paul's spirit expressly says that in these latter times, what? That there will be seducing spirits pr- producing what? Doctrines of demons. So that means false worship, that means idolatry, false teaching, false Christ, intermingling religious beliefs opens us up to what? Demonic activity. Stick to the word of God. Amen? Here's one, and I want to preface this before I go into this one, okay? This is not a license for anyone to sin. Did you hear what I just said? Before we go there, that's why I haven't even told you the scripture. Before we turn there. This is not a license for anyone to go and throw it in their spouse's face. Well, you did this, so I did this. Nope. Wrong heart. But I want you to see something. How you, as a married couple, this is for married folks, you as a married couple can bring Satan right into your bedroom. I didn't say this. Your Bible says this. Let's turn there. Turn back a couple of pages here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And remember what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show you practically, in practical areas, where it is that you can see demonic activity in your life. So you can repent and you can deal with that. You ever, everybody there? First Corinthians chapter 7. Look what he says here, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> he says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So the apostle Paul is saying, look. You need to keep your hands off of the opposite sex, and that's what he's saying, and that way you can maintain purity. He's saying that's a good thing. Nevertheless, because you're not going to listen to that because you don't want to touch each other, hello. Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. So you both have your own, own wife, own husband, right? Like you own each other. Say, we own each other. This is what the script. I'm not saying this is what the Bible says. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So when you get married, listen to this for those of you who are not married. If you are considering getting married, you need to consider this right here. Your spouse is going to have specific needs. Amen? Those needs are going to differ. Normally, Not every situation is like this. I've met couples that are the exact opposite. In most situations, the husband needs more sexual activity, right, than the wife in most situations. But the wife needs more cuddling. Did you hear what I just said? That's the affection due her. Oh, glory to God. Right? And see, the problem with us brothers is that we get it crossed up in here. We think cuddling means this. No. Cuddling means I just want to cuddle. Hallelujah. I want a hug with no anything attached. And I want it to be a long hug. Not just a little pat on the back because you couldn't get none hug, no. I want a real hug. I want, I want to feel that thing, glory to God. But I don't want to do that, right? Different needs, affection. This with your Bible. Your Bible says render to each other. 
Wife has needs. Husband has needs. They're both going to have needs that are going to be different, but you need to meet those needs for each other. Moving on to the next verse. The wife does not have authority over her own body. This does not give a husband a right to be abusive and take you, I own you and I'm, I have authority. Now, that's not what this is saying. But the husband, but the husband, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. And it'd be amazing. The wife would be yoking you up and be like, give me a hug, boy. What's wrong with you? You don't own your body. Come over here. Right? But brothers be doing stuff like that. Hello? Not about a hug. Look, the Bible said be manipulating just up in there. Hello? I'm just, I'm calling it like it is. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, do not deprive one another. With, with, except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan, where's he at? In your bedroom. So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So let me point it to you like this. For those people who are married, Covenant, you know, you stood before a justice of a peace, you, you know, you stood to be on, on an altar, you're legally married. Listen to me. Sexual deprivation is a wide open door for demonic activity in your home. I didn't say it. This is what the apostle Paul says. He communicates this. And you know what he does in the next verse, if you keep going, he's going to say, I say this as a concession, not as a command. In other words, what he's telling you is, look. I'm not commanding you to do this. Husbands, don't hug your wives. Wives, don't do that with your husbands. I'm not, I'm not going to command you to do it because that will be abusive. But I'm going to let you know what you do when you decide you're not going to give the due affection. What you do is you open the door to the enemy. So you make a decision on that. If you want to open the door to the enemy, go on ahead. Deprive each other. Be nasty. Be foul. Listen, so if you're that kind of, and you know, some of the wives, they get upset with me because, you know, we went through a, a Bible study and, and, you know, every man's battle and we talked about that. And, you know, I told, I tell the wives about the 72 hour window and some wives are like, Bishop, why you got to say that? In case you're new here, 72 hour window is, you know, a man by, you know, according to doctors and, you know, very educated folks. I want to say something so bad. <laughs> Not horny young men, hello, right? According to educated folks that know this, you know what I'm saying? Pastor Pastor Chad told me to say it, so I just was obedient, all right? So the reality is, these, these doctors, they say, you know what? Really? An average dude, every 72 hours, he's gonna need to do it. Now let me say something to all you average dudes. Make sure you're married. That's not a license to go on ahead and say, well, God knew all that stuff. That's why he said it's better not to touch a woman. You don't touch a woman, you can keep those desires down and under control. You start touching a woman, guess what's going to happen? 72 hours? Uh-huh. Hey, it's time, buddy. Right? Now, listen. Some of your situation may be different, but I'm going to tell you something. Two weeks is a long time. A month? Whoo. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, a week is a long time, but glory to a month, man. I hear testimonies of folks that don't get, come together for like three months. 
That is not God. I don't know what they were doing for them three months. <laughs> but listen to what I'm saying. This is practical, okay? This is where you bring the devil right into your home and say, come on up in here. You want to bring him in? Oh, you, and, and you know it. See, you, you, we're laughing, but you know it. You go on there and you tell that brother, no, all of the devil rises up in him. I know he does to me, glory to God. I'm just, I'm talking about me right here. I'll be like, man, be like, babe, oh, no, not right now. What? Glory to God. I'm, listen, listen, I'm talking about me, church. I, I, look, I don't pull no punches. I'm the one, I do that little pat hug. Be like, nah, that ain't real. Look, like, all right, I'm a, I'm a, look, man. My, and, she, and she reminds me too. She'd be like, you know, one of the reasons why I married you is because of the hugs you give. I'm like, glory to God. Gotta conjure this up. Praise the Lord. Listen now. What I'm saying, you know it happens. Get an attitude, right? Just get, that's the devil, (laughs) y'all. Hello. (laughs) That's not the devil all the time, all right? It's your flesh. But what I am telling you is, it opens the door. Because you're not in your right mind. Hello. Glory to God. You ain't in your right mind. Second Corinthians. Turn to Second Corinthians really quickly. I want to show you some more practical demonic activity here in our lives. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 and verse to verse 18. Look what the scripture says here. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. And what, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Another name for the devil. Remember, worthless, wicked. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, verse 1 in chapter 7, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so you want to see another way that you bring demonic activity into your life when you have non-believers and believers marrying. Listen to me. This is what your Bible says. This is not me. Do not be unequally yoked. Do not be in covenant relationship with those who are not serving God. This is what your scriptures teach. And he's saying, man, Christ, they don't mix. So you want to see that? Listen, that, that, that's why young people, I, you know, I always tell them I'm against missionary dating. Hello. You know what that is, right? You see somebody who's not a Christian and you want them to be Christian because you want them to be your Christian. And so you go after them. That's called missionary dating. You're dating that person with the hopes that they will see Jesus in you and give their life to Jesus so you can walk with Jesus together. Can I tell you something? I would say 99.9% of the time, it doesn't work like that. One of two things happens. Either you figure out they don't see enough Jesus in you to follow him and you work the, and you walk the other way, or you forget about your Jesus and start loving them more. Now, I said 99.9. There are some occasions. Amen? 
but it's still not encouraged. Don't don't. Well, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that like that point that whatever. I'm I'm, I'm gonna be the point one. So I'm gonna no 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 no. You probably won't be. And then we'll be counseling you about something else. We don't want to do that. Demonic activity. This is what your Bible says. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians. We were there a little bit ago. We're going to go back there. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Are you learning something? Hope you're taking good notes. You can recognize where the enemy operates in our lives. The book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 32. I'm going to go back to my other point in a moment because I want to just clarify something for you, but praise the Lord Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 32. All right, before we read that, I'm going to make this point so we can move on to the next one. Very important. Sexual deprivation in marriage, opening the door to the demonic in your life. That, again, I want to reiterate this. That does not give you the license to go and get on the Internet and pornography. That does not give you a license to go and, you know, start sleeping around and committing adultery and saying, well, you weren't giving it to me, so I got it somewhere. That does not. What that gives you a right to do is get on your face and seek God and say, Lord, please restore, heal. You need to cast the devil out of your situation. Amen? Very important because I want you to walk away from this thinking, oh, well, Bishop said, you know, the devil's going to tempt me, so that's what happened. I just fell into temptation. No, that's not God. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, are you there? Say amen. Verse 17 says this, This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And so remember I talked about in chapter 6, talks about putting on armor. In chapter 4 here, he's talking about taking off, putting off the old man. So you got to take the old man off and then put on Jesus. That's what has to occur in your life. And that way you don't grow in corruption, but you grow in grace and you grow in righteousness. Verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God. Jesus is the new man in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, put away lying. Remember, we talked about that. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, you notice this is here. He's saying that if we do these things, now he's going to continue on to talk. But in the middle of all of this, he says, don't give place to the devil. So how do you give place to the devil? Well, if you're lying, you're giving place to the devil. If you are sinning in anger, remember, it's not, it's not a sin to get angry. It's a sin the way you respond in anger. What you do in anger, that's where sin comes in, how you deal with it. And so he's saying, don't let the sun set on your anger. So you are in sin. You are giving the enemy a place or a foothold. When you decide that you, you are going to just walk around, act like nothing happened, and you're not going to deal with it, this is what your Bible teaches. You're giving place to the enemy. And he goes on to say, let him who stole steal no longer. So obviously, if you're doing that, you're giving place to the enemy. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him 
Who has need, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so when you have unresolved issues that are producing anger, Causing lying, you know, because a lot of times we lie because we're trying to cover stuff up that hasn't been dealt with. So we act like when, when you say there's nothing wrong, and listen, we're all guilty of this. Every one of us that is in here is guilty of this. Someone asks you what's wrong and you say nothing. You're lying. You are lying. Stop lying. Say, I don't want to talk about it right now. That's the truth. And sometimes that's even a lie. Because some of us, we just want to walk around with a pout face so someone will chase us around forever, asking us, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? Because you know you enjoy it. It's like corrupt and twisted. Instead of just talking about it, get some. I don't know what, what we get out of that stuff. But the fact is, that's how some people are, right? So the fact is, we need to deal with this because when we, don't, when we have unresolved issues, then we are giving place to the devil. So you want to talk about practical stuff? When you have unresolved issues in your life, that's when you see demonic activity in your life. You need to be aware of that stuff. Not because you need to fear, because I want to continue to reiterate that. You don't need to fear the devil. You need to acknowledge him. You need to acknowledge that he will destroy whatever he can. He will deceive wherever he can. He will do everything that he can to bring division, to destroy, to, to just totally create chaos. He will do everything he can to do that. So you have to recognize these areas in the last place. And this one, I'm sure everyone has, has, um, has, has heard this before. But we're going to go there anyway. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to go to verse 11 through 15. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, the Apostle Paul is speaking about widows, those who their, who their spouses have died. And he's communicating, he's giving them some regulations about these widows, and he's telling them some stuff, and he gets to the younger widows in verse 11 here, and it says this. It says, but refuse the younger widows. In other words, he's saying, don't put them in the list of widows. And in and, and those times, the church took care of the widows, right? There's no, you know, life insurance policies, no, you know, none of that stuff was, was, was around. They didn't have that. So the church took care of these widows. And so there was a list of who the widows were. If you, if you remember, in the book of Acts chapter 6, the first dispute had, that came up was because because one set of widows was not getting the same amount as another set of widows. And so the church took care of the widows. That's what they did in those days. There wasn't social security. None of those things existed. And so now the church did that at that time. So here's what happens. And, and let me just say this. It doesn't mean that the church can't take care of widows today. That doesn't mean that. Just because there's social security or anything like that, we can still do those type of things. And we should be helping in areas that we can in people's lives. But he's communicating and saying now. Refuse the younger widows. In other words, these younger ladies whose husbands have died, don't make them widows. Don't put them in the widows list. Don't start taking care of them. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. So you know what? At first, they're, you know, you, your husband dies. You're, you know, young. You're in love. Everything's wonderful. I'm never going to remarry again. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10, 15 years later, right? Who knows how long that will be? Some, somebody comes into your life that they caught your eye. They, you know, they, they did some, something happen, right? Okay, so it occurs. Then what happens? Now you're struggling because once you become a widow, when you're a widow in those days, you weren't just going to be taken care of. You were going to be taking care of people. You were going to be serving. You were going to be washing the saints' feet. You were going to be serving in the church. You were bound to that commitment. 
And so what he's saying, he's saying, listen, don't let, don't make them part of the widows because then they have this commitment in a few years, you know, their heart is going to yearn and desire to be with someone else. And so they're going to grow wanton against Christ. Christ is not going to be enough, not because they don't love Jesus necessarily. It's just going to be because they have this feeling um, that's going to happen inside of them. And he goes on to say in verse 12, having condemn, I'm sorry, verse 11, but refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith or their first commitment to being a widow. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Now, we know this much. We don't need widows to have gossips and busybodies. Hello. We know that. We, we got plenty of gossips and busybodies all, all over the place, and they're not widows. Hello. Okay. Therefore, I desire that the younger women marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. How did they turn aside after Satan? They grew wanton. They became idle. They started gossiping. If you have a gossip problem, You're always criticizing everyone. You're just idle. You don't do anything. You just criticize. Those are the best, you know, critics. The ones who do the least have the most to say. You've heard that, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to say amen. Hallelujah. Right? You go idle like that, what are you doing? You're opening up doors for the enemy. You're going after the one who wants to do what? Bring accusation. Bring reproach. The one who wants to bring destruction. We cannot afford to ignore the scriptural warnings and identifications of how the enemy operates, but we must be on guard and offensively position ourselves. Listen, we need to recognize that the Bible equips us not only to overcome the enemy with the scriptures, to overcome the enemy, you know, primarily because of what Jesus has done already. We need to recognize that, but we also need to realize that the Bible doesn't only tell us that the Bible shows us where is he going to come at you practically. Where is it that he is going to come and attack your life? Prepare yourself. Don't be surprised. Oh, my goodness, my marriage is going, oh, my goodness. Wait a second. This is what the Bible says the enemy's coming to destroy. This is where the Bible says you can have this, you know, the, these issues are, gonna, are going to arise. So it's important for us. So in closing, here's the question. Ask this one. Say this with me. Do I believe? And am I walking in the victory Christ afforded me over the enemy? You see, there, there's some scriptures here that I want to read because it's important for us. And while the enemy is to be acknowledged, he is not to be feared or worshipped. Christ alone is our victory. By his blood, by the word of our testimony, and us not loving our lives unto death, we can walk in victory. According to the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 11, it says there that they overcame him, the enemy, by the, by, by the blood of Jesus, by the word of their testimony. So it was because of the blood of Christ that they were able to overcome the enemy. It was because of the word of their testimony. And what was that? We are Christians. We are his children. We are walking with God. That was the word their testimony they took that from the word and what the scriptures teach and so i want to go over some scriptures the first scripture here is this colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says this it says he has delivered us from the from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son so first scripture word of our testimony is that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son colossians chapter 2 
13 through 15, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that is Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so in Christ Jesus, everything that was against has been obliterated on the cross. That's Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. In the, in the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, you should know this one. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So our authority is from the one who dwells in us. The book of Romans, another scripture you should be familiar with. Verse 8, 37 to verse 39. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors in all of the hardship, difficulty, and in everything that we go through, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself Jesus likewise partook of the same thing that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery it is awesome to know that you and I do not have to fear death because Jesus already conquered the grave amen that's Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 15 the book of Psalms gives us encouragement as well the book of Psalms 3 and verse 3 it says but you O Lord are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head the book of Psalm chapter 7 and verse 10 says, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. And the book of Psalms chapter 18 and verse 2 says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. The last scripture that we'll read together, and I want you to turn there and we'll close our Bibles after this and pray, is 1 John chapter 3, because this one, it just seals the deal for me. This is the nail in the coffin for us. 1 John chapter 5, I mean, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. And he says this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And it says, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Most importantly for us is to understand that while the devil may rise up, he may growl loud, and all of those things, he is a defeated foe with a sure destiny. There is no reason as a child of God why you should walk in any type of defeat because Jesus paid the price for you. Amen. 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 So I'll stand to our feet, please, and let us pray.